Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. If you're taking notes, go ahead and you can write this down. Today's message, if you saw it there on the video, it's titled An Inside Job. Go ahead and write that, An Inside Job. And I know for sure if you just have ears to hear today, um, you will be blessed. I was blessed as I was putting it together and I was just praying over it. And I know, um, I know that God's speaking to our family. You know, when you think about an inside job, that phrase, an inside job, think about what's the first thing that comes to your mind. An inside job, you, you probably think about a crime. <laughs> Where is this guy going, you know? Some sort of crime, your mind goes straight to that, of a person, right, who's trusted. A person who holds some sort of position, right, of authority, which gives them access uh, to a location, to a place, um, in order to perform this crime, an inside job. I know there's a movie called The, the Inside Man and, and many things like that, but... On a day like today where we speak on, we remember, and we celebrate the Lord's resurrection, I, I, I want to dis- discuss this phrase, an inside job. But it's an inside job that's quite opposite. It's an inside job that's like no other. And, and I, I believe you're going to get it. I know you know where I'm going already. Uh, but hopefully you get some sort of revelation as his word gives. Uh, it's not one where, where an individual with an authoritative position uh, places himself to commit a great crime or to rob from the innocent. Obviously, that's not what I'm talking about. But what am I saying when I say an inside job? This is it. It's a person who is, or who is pure, who is holy, who is perfect and sinless, who, who positioned himself in authority to, to take, to rob that which darkened and condemned those that, that which was darkened and condemned individuals in this world. Where normally an inside job is the guilty taken away from the innocent. But on this great occasion, on what we're doing here um, today and every time we gather, in which we celebrate this weekend, in which we celebrate um, today, it's an inside job where the innocent is taken away from the guilty. And that's the gospel. That's what's beautiful about this stuff. Normally inside jobs, it's, it's the guilty. But here is one who was innocent of all things and came to take that which was of guilt, that which is of shame, that which is sin. And, and what an inside job that was. Amen? See, we're all in this room. We're all guilty of sin. Every single one of us is guilty of sin. Whatever path you're on in life, we're all guilty of sin until we come to recognize the innocent one. The innocent one of God the Father who was surrendered, who surrendered all of his glory and did what no one else can do. The inside job where holiness and godliness took on sinful flesh to take from us what continued to condemn us, which is the sin of this world. That which we could not conquer was conquered from the Holy One so that we could live in his glory, so that we could live in his holiness, in his righteousness. It's an inside job, and that's where I'm going. And and that's kind of what I want to speak on. In Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 3, uh, Paul kind of gets into 
this, this flesh that Christ took on. This life that Christ took on. And in Romans 8.3, he says this. Listen to these words. He says, the law was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Every time you give rules to someone who is guilty, they break rules. Many times those in prison, when they come out, they haven't been rehabilitated correctly. So they come out and guess what happens to them? Because they're guilty and they continue to live in that, guess what? It's just a matter of time until they what? Break the rules again and, and commit crime again. And we could associate ourselves with that. So Paul says the law was unable to save us because of the weaknesses of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have, what the New King James would say, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Do you know what he's saying there? He condemned sin in his flesh. Where sin would condemn us, he took on the flesh and condemns sin. I love when I say this to you guys. My enemies becomes his enemies. So sin, my enemy, becomes his enemy. And he condemns it in the flesh. That, it's a powerful, powerful verse, powerful belief. And, and, I, and I think about that. Because all throughout creation, man separated themselves from God, yes? From the beginning of time, man separated. Man wanted to do their agenda. Man wanted to do what was right for them. Man wanted to please their own flesh, their own likeness. And because of that, anytime you sin, the definition of sin is missing the mark. It's sin. It's outside of God. And when we sin, we separate ourselves from the Lord. And we separate ourselves from the Father. <coughs> Why is this so important? Because the Father and humanity, the Father and His creation were separated. It breaks the Father's heart. The Father does not long to be separated from His creation, but the Father created you to be one with Him. So because of this, He needed to bring forth what was lost back to Him to be found again, to become one. And the only way to do that is to send His one unique Son, Christ Jesus. And Jesus came in that lowly, humble position to serve the world in death. And he did it from the inside. He, came, he didn't have to. He could have just hung out on a cloud and just spoken fire out of his mouth. He could have just burned you with his eyes, I'm guessing. I mean, I like Revelation and all the imagery there. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and the reality is that he could have done it any other way. But, but, but the one who reigned on his throne stepped away from glory and came inside to the sinful world, came inside into our lives to win our hearts back to the Father. It was an inside job, and that's what we are celebrating today. That's what this stuff is about. That's what Paul is describing, that Christ had to come into the world to take from it that which was killing us all. And if you can relate with me in this, what was killing us all, oh, it was sin. How many of you can testify that sin was killing you? And in doing this, it was rooted in his love. It was accomplished in his love. And it will continue to be spread in his love. I'll, I'll, I'll just read scripture to show you exactly what I mean by that. In 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. Listen to this. And recognize how it's all done in love. A lot of things can be said they're done in love. 
But listen how everything was done in love. It says, dear friends, verse 7, John, 1 John 4, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Amen. But anyone who does not love God does not know God for God is love. God showed how much he loved us. Is this beautiful or not? I hope you're not numb to it. I hope you haven't gotten so used to it that this statement doesn't mean anything to you anymore. I hope you haven't gotten so churchy that this statement doesn't still itch. That this stuff doesn't still make you cry. That this stuff doesn't make you want to get on your knees anymore. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only, his one unique son into this world. So that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. This is real love. <laughs> What's real love? That, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's real love. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. What does the, the love of God in our lives do? It comes radiant where now we begin to love each other. We surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if, we love each, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. What is Paul saying? Um, what is John saying? Sorry. No one has ever seen God, but if you are operating in love, everyone is seeing God. <laughs> God. No one has ever seen God, but if you're operating in love, everyone has seen God. Because that love, is, it, it, God is expressed in the love of the believer. You want to see God in its form? Get around people that have truly encountered the love of God. And you will see love in its form. You will see God in his form. And that's what John is saying. That's what John is talking about. I'm telling you exactly what I just said a little while ago. It was all rooted in love. It was accomplished in love. And it will continue to be spread in love. Amen? First John 4. Very important. You know, last Sunday when we got together for, for Palm Sunday... Uh, we spoke about Jesus being our Passover lamb, entering into uh, Jerusalem, where many thought it was, a, it was an entrance of victory, ready to take on his throne and reign and to do everything that the great king was to do. But instead, it was to take on a cross and it was to bring forth, it was to reign in the throne of our heart, not necessarily on the throne of Israel. And we spoke about the Passover lamb and who was put to trial illegally, who was condemned though he was innocent. The Passover lamb, he was scourged, he was beaten naked, and he was put to shame. Listen now, he was nailed, he was hanging on a cross for all to see him as a criminal. To die, he was placed in a tomb to what many thought he and his movement was defeated and had finally come to an end. When he was on the cross and brought down and placed in a tomb, finally, Finally, Yeshua, Yeshua is gone. His movement is destroyed. No way his followers will continue with his teachings. Why? Because many others have come in the name of his. And many others fail to succeed to continue on with the movement. Why is it that Jesus is, it was so real, not just because he died and was buried, but because he resurrected and the movement has not ceased. It is more powerful than it has ever been. The numbers in China are rising. The numbers all over the world. You might not be seeing it from a public place, but man, underground, there are people that are coming to Jesus. There are people that are coming to his feet. There are lives that are still being transformed. You're going to tell me that something fake continues to live for thousands of years, yet so powerful? 
placed in a tomb and they thought that his movement was defeated. That he'd come to an end, but we know that on that third day, that which was inside, that which was dead, that which was defeated and seemed hopeless was now missing. And it gave hope and revealed that he was victorious, as we saw in the video, and he was more alive than ever. Listen, the visible, resurrected Christ was the evidence that he alone is God, that he has all authority over death and life, and that his reign will have no end. The visible resurrected Christ is proof of that. When the 500, when the 12 apostles, when Mary met, when all of these witnesses saw him resurrected, it was proof. This man lives forever. This man will sit on his throne. He is the one and only true son of God. Like, like it became real on his resurrection. It was a call for all to hear, for all to see to enter into and share in the same resurrection, that in Christ we may reign and have no end as well. How does, that, how does that sound for you? How does that sound for us as a reminder that I might be getting old, I know that. But yet this man up here will reign forever. That's powerful in Christ Jesus. A reign that has no end. The tomb was there the cross was there the tomb was there the, the calvary was there in its full effect and when you think about the tomb let's, let's think about that for a moment to many when you think of the tomb what do you think of anyone want to throw, throw something out there when, when you look at the tomb when you think of the tomb if you went to israel with us we walked by the tomb we walked inside the tomb that many believe is the tomb of christ what, what does the tomb um represent to 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 you when you see it for the for the and you think about it, and you, and you were to walk by it, what, what does that represent to you? Anyone want to throw something out there? An empty grave. I mean, I think of, I think of, oh man, there's a dead, there's a dead man in there. There's a corpse in there. I, I look at the tomb, and what I identify a tomb as is the end. Just like if you were to show me a coffin, what, what, I, what, what I could identify as, oh, that's the end. And that's what many people will do. They will identify a tomb or a coffin as the end. A tomb, a coffin, the grave. All of these things identified with what? With grief, with death, with sorrow, with end. But to the believer, but to the believer is something different. To the believer, when we understand scripture, when we understand Christ, when we understand resurrection, there's a different truth. And Paul writes this, that to live is Christ, yes. But when we die, it's even better. It's gain. That's my family, man. That's my brother Paul speaking like that, writing like that. To live is Christ, but to die is even better. It's gain. And we know that life, life immortal begins when life mortal comes to its end. I'll read, and we see that in 1 Corinthians 15. But I want to read this passage to you in Philippians 1. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 21, 22, and 23. Uh, look exactly at what he says. This is what I'm talking about. Paul says this, for to me to live is Christ. And then he says, and to die is to gain. You know, to the one who is not in Christ, th this sounds just foolish. This sounds worrisome. You know, to say something like to live is Christ and to die, it's sad, it's, it stinks, it's... I mean, think about all the other descriptions that you could say when you say, and to die is. But Paul says, but to die is gain. I gain. Like how? Your body gets eaten. 
Like, what do you mean you gain? And he says in verse 22, but if I lived on in, in this flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. If I continue to live, I need to continue to bear fruit. I need to continue to do what God's called me to do. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I love verse 23. Look at Paul's heart. Look what he's dealing with. Look what he's juggling. Look what he's thinking about in this time of his life. And I thank you, Paul, because I'm not the only one. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So, so like, Paul, you know, those are some serious things that you're saying here. Because he recognizes that after death is where true life is found. It's where life continues. It's, it's, it's where the corrupted becomes now pure, becomes without corruption. It's where every tear in Revelation says is dried up. I mean, it's, it's the place to reign forever with Christ. So I start to think about the tomb, the grave, and the coffin, and I think about death. And just because someone is dead, just because someone is dead, just because someone is in a tomb or someone is in a grave, it does not mean not ever that their existence is over. If you remember weeks ago, for those that are of the house, we said this. We speak about Abraham as if he's dead, yet in this room there is fruit that the works of Abraham are still alive. We speak of Jesus as if he's dead, but yet the works of Christ are still alive. And just because you die, just because you go into a grave, just because, whatever it might be, does not mean that you cease to exist. There's life that continues to go. When Jesus died, we, we see in John 19 something very, uh, very important that happens. Joseph, a man named Joseph of Arimathea comes and he comes with Nicodemus uh, to the council of Jewish leaders, them being um, two members of the Jewish ruling council. And they're very concerned because Passover is at hand. And the proper Jewish burial uh, needed to be given to Jesus being a Jew. And they were worried because they thought that it wasn't going to happen and they needed to put certain spices and they had to put a certain cloth around them and go ahead and go through the process. So they asked for Jesus' body and eventually they, they are given the body of Christ because the Sabbath was quickly approaching and, and, and Passover was there and they just needed to prepare for his body and they needed to do it quickly because on the Sabbath, no one is to work, no one is to do this. So they needed to get it done quickly with all the specific spices, with all the linens that they were to put around Jesus. And then eventually they, didn't, they ended up laying him in a tomb. And they laid him there and they rolled the tomb, the, the, the stone, and we know that story. But some days later, about three days later, right, in, cha in chapter 20, um, of John 19, something happens. Mary Magdalene, you know this story maybe. She goes to the tomb early in the morning, so early that it was still dark. And when she goes to the tomb, she notices that the stone is rolled away. Verse 2 says that she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples. Mind you, this is early in the morning. You know what this shows me? It shows me that all the disciples were still all together, still fearing for their lives. She knew exactly where to go and where they were all going to be together. They were worried. They were in hiding. If they killed our leader, they're going to kill us next. So she runs to Simon Peter. She runs to the other disciples. One being John himself, whom Jesus loved, as he always described himself. And then it says, look what she tells them. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. 
Can you imagine this day? Can you imagine this morning? Can you imagine what Mary's going through, what Peter is saying, what John is saying? What did this? What? What do you mean? Well, we know kind of what happens. What, what does Peter and John do? They start, a, they start dashing to the tomb. They race to the tomb. You know, we could look at the tomb and we could weep over that which is in the inside, that which is dead. And in this case, as in Mary's case, we could weep for that which is missing in the inside as she goes to visit it. And Mary thought many things, I'm sure, on that day. Because look at what her words are. Her words are as such, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they laid him. She's actually thinking somebody in the inside took his body. It had to have been an inside job. So you see Mary, <clears throat> she's thinking that maybe it was some sort of conspiracy <clears throat> to take his body. An inside job that there's no proof of anything. There's no resurrection. We're not going to let him. Who knows what she was going to. We, we continue to read to the story for the sake of time, Peter and John. It says that they start running towards the tomb to see what had happened, what had occurred. I mean, think about what turn of events this is. I mean, you went from, you went from, the, from the whole scourging, from the beating, from the whips, from the cross, from the agony of the shameful death on the cross, to him being dead now, to dealing with his death, to preparing his body, to putting him in a tomb, to go through the whole Jewish custom of burying someone, and then now he's missing. Think about, like seriously, think about everything that is happening to, to his followers, to his disciples here. Think about all the emotions. Think about all the confusion. Was this an inside job? Was someone involved? Did Pilate get involved in this stuff? But you continue to read in this chapter. And yes, we see that the, the tomb is empty. <clears throat> and, it's, and when you open the tomb, when you walked into the tomb, the linens that he was wearing are there. The handkerchief is folded properly. And in one occasion, we see angels that are standing before the, <laughs> before the tomb. And, and at one point, they ask Mary, why are you crying? It's like, what do you mean? Well, he's not there anymore. Why, why are you weeping? And, and, and then a voice is heard behind Mary and says, Mary, why are you weeping? When she turns, it's the resurrected Christ. He's like, what up? <laughs> what are you? So the angels are like, girl, why, why are you crying? And because they took him. Mary, what? And he's like, I'm alive. I told you that this stuff was going to happen. Told you death wasn't going to conquer. I told you I was going to win at the end. And Jesus asks the same questions that the Roman guards ask Mary. And Jesus asks her, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping if I'm alive? And the more you read scriptures, uh, I want to get into this, you'll recognize that God does things from the inside. What are you doing alive? Well, Mary, when that tomb was closed and there was a stone on it, some stuff happened in the inside. Things happen in the inside. God does things from the inside. I've witnessed it in my own life. God's about the inside. God's about the heart of man. God is about dealing with you. Not necessarily, oh, Lord, I just want like, you know, we talk about the physical things. And God's like, all right, let me deal with the internal things. Let me deal with your character. Let me deal with your heart. Let me deal with your mind. I'll take care of the outward stuff, yeah. But let me first deal within you. With the things that have greater weight. In Matthew chapter 15, 7, 8, and 9. I mean, this is constantly in Jesus' messages, in Jesus' teachings. It's constantly on the heart of God. Jesus 
confronts the religious leaders in Matthew 15. Why? Does anyone know why? I think I brushed this last week, but your disciples are eating. They didn't wash their hands. My goodness. Listen, if that meant that I, if my going to heaven was based on me washing my hands before dinner, I, I, I don't always wash my hands. I don't know what to tell you. But yet I'm always on my son. Wash your hands. Maybe if I start washing them, he'll start washing them. As they're preaching in that. Come on. You know, dads, you got to set the tone. for. All right, here we go. I rebuke myself in the name of Jesus. Oh, man. But he confronts the religious leaders and rabbi, teacher. They're, the Jewish law says they got to wash their hands. They're not washing their hands. And he tells them something very sharp. Jesus doesn't hold back from the religious people. And look what he calls them. He doesn't say, oh, you very good-looking, confused people. You're very kind and loving. I know you're good. You're good people, but yet confused. No, no, he calls it as it is, and he says, you hypocrites. Amen, Jesus. <laughs> Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, look what he says. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship is a, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. What, what is Jesus doing there? He, he's confronting something deeper. He's like, yeah, you speak a lot. Man, you, you demonstrate a lot. But the reality is, he says what? Your heart is actually far from me. Because, because there's something, oh man, I, I, I don't have time to go into this because I, I want to do like a whole other preaching on this right now because I'm in this season. And, and, that, and that's what Jesus is, 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 is dealing with there with these religious leaders, with these religious Pharisees. So, so what is he telling them? What good is your public display? Your, listen, your public display of obedience if your heart is polluted and disobedient. And that's what he was addressing. What was he doing? I'm not going to get so wild about your outward appearance, Pharisee, and your outward knowledge. I'm going to deal with your heart. <clears throat> and that's what Jesus does. Why? God's about the inside. I'll, I'll, prove, you, <clears throat> I'll prove it to you also in the Old Testament. You, you know when David was going to be anointed king, right? And if you don't, read 1 Samuel, and, and we see it in, in chapter 16 especially. In, in uh, 1 Samuel 16, Samuel is going with his ram's horn full of oil. Because God tells him, Yahweh tells him, um, go to Jesse's house. And um, as you go to Jesse's house, um, I'm going to show you one of his sons, and you're going to anoint him with oil. And he's going to become the next king after Saul, the next king of Israel. So, so Samuel goes with his ram's horn full of oil, and he's to anoint the next king of Israel. <clears throat> And before Samuel is brought to him, uh, one of the brothers who is called Eliab, Eliab, and he sees Eliab. And, and you want to know what Samuel's, what Samuel, the conclusion he comes to? L listen to what Samuel says. When Samuel sees Eliab, he says, surely the Lord's anointing is upon him. What does that mean? Eliab looked it. Eliab probably was tall maybe, I don't know. Eliab was probably muscular. I don't know. Eliab probably had a beautiful beard or something. No, but Eliab probably had like, Eliab probably had like, like maybe a lot of wisdom. Maybe he had a lot of knowledge. Maybe he was well versed. I don't know. 
But Samuel saw Eliab and said, surely the anointed of God, surely this is him. And you could almost see him taking out his oil, ready to anoint him king. But as he's about to do that, verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16 shows us the heart of God that we tend to miss a lot. And this is what the Lord tells Samuel. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. I refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's an inside job. It's an inside job. I see you like the way he looks, Samuel. But I don't like the way he looks. I've been inside there. The house doesn't look clean. There's actually a dirty little kid outside and fighting bears and lions that you have no idea of. Who's tending sheep. He's dirty. His feet are full of poop. He smells like the sun and like sweat because he lives a shepherd's life. And nothing about him looks like the appearance of the next king. But his heart is after mine. It chases mine. And if I'm going to put anyone in any rule of authority, I need to make sure that they have a heart that chases the heart of God. If not, they're going to lead incorrectly. That's powerful stuff. Listen, it's an inside job. Scripture consistently speaks on defilement. What does defilement begin? You think it's when you commit your sin? You think it's when Eve bit the fruit? It's when Eve thought of biting the fruit. Defilement starts from the inside. And, and all over scripture, <clears throat> we see that. It starts from the inside. From within, Matthew 12. It says that even, our, even out of our mouths, uh, our mouths, sorry, speak out of the abundance of our heart. Publicly comes out what's, in, what's inside, inwardly. So part of Easter, part of resurrection, this message of resurrection is that it points to something greater, something amazing. And yes, it's his death and his, the cross and it's the resurrection. But many times we get lost about the tomb. We forget about that tomb. And part of resurrection, we got to point to the tomb. Amen? You know that Pilate sent guards to the tomb. And the reason why guards stood by the tomb, it's because Pilate heard the preachings of Jesus and he heard the preachings of his followers. And he said, this is what they say about him. They said that on the third day, he's going to resurrect. As a matter of fact, I was in a building one time. And he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up again. I'll lift it up again. And um, they said that what he was talking about was not the temple, which took 46 years to build. But what he's talking about is his own body, that he was going to raise it up in three days. So I need two of my strongest guards to stand in front of the tomb and make sure that no one steals it. I don't want any kind of conspiracy theory happening in Israel. And he was worried about Caesar in Rome coming to get him. I need to make sure everything's in order. And guards were sent for the fear of the disciples stealing his body and spreading lies that he resurrected and continuing in this false faith, false religion. But little did everyone know that from the inside there was something happening. That from death life begins to sprout. That from the ground resurrection is about to occur and this is nothing new this is what jesus was teaching towards the end of his life 
In John chapter 12, look at Jesus' very words in verse 23 through 25. Jesus says this, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. He's talking about his life and he's comparing it to a grain of wheat. It remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. And he who loves his life, now he's pointing it to us. I'm giving you the example, now you need to respond to me. He who lives, loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The message, Eugene Peterson translates it this way, or, or he comments this way. He says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and it reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to this life, just as, it's destroyed, just as it is destroys that life, but if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever and it will be real and eternal. So you, you, look, at, you look at this passage in John 12, and the way that the Son of Man would be glorified was that he would lay down his life. And by laying down his life, he's preaching to us and let it preach to you. What, what am I saying? That the way that you will live in glory, the way that you will begin to experience glorification, it's if you too begin to lay down your life. When, when, when? Starting next week? Starting when you get a little bit older? When your kids get out of the house? No. Start laying down your life today and watch God begin to open doors of glory for your life. Why? Because he's the great example. I will be glorified once I lay down my life. So what do I do? You too lay down your life so that you can live in glory. We need to be buried to the ground. We need to die to our sin. We need to die to self. Like Jesus. Listen, it's the place in which we die. Which we die to ourselves, to our sin, to our pride. In death, he begins to make us alive. And it starts from the inside. Someone may have the appearance of failure. Listen, someone may have the appearance of failure. Maybe someone in this room, you know that you've been identified as a failure. You've been looked down upon. You, 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 you've been spoken ill of. There are many that can have the appearance of failure. I'm going to be very honest with you. Of a deadbeat, of an addict of a murderer, of a pedophile, of a homosexual, of a liar, of an adulterer. But the message of the cross, of the tomb, of the resurrection is a reminder to us of that which seems dead to the eyes, that which seems to be of no hope. The tomb from the outside is just considered to be holding a dead man and his bones. But we serve and we trust in the Lord who takes what is dead and from the inside he begins to do a miracle and he makes it alive yet again it's an inside job but I have these struggles in my life but I relate to this kind of community of people but I've uh, committed adultery but I'm, a, I'm gonna be honest I've killed somebody or, or I just am filled with lust or I have hatred or I lie a lot whatever it is we are celebrating speaking to you presenting to you a gospel that there is a Christ that comes into that which might be your failure and he makes it alive that's the message of the tomb something happens inside that will resurrect and become alive again It's an inside job. Look at the person next to you and say, it's an inside job. 
It's an inside job. It's an inside job. He's the one. He's the one. It's an inside job. He's the one who does the great work within. There's been great medicine. There's been great doctors. Great counselors. Great therapists. There's been great things. I'm not telling you to stop seeing them. I'm not telling you to stop taking your medicine. But I am telling you to lay down your life to Christ. Because what might... What you might be, what you might consider dead in your life if you just lay it down to him. You might see a miracle happening and you might see things come to life again. Is this resonating with any of you, you know? It's an inside job. He's the one that does the great work. He's the, he's, he does the inside job. Listen, you know how many, you know for how long I tried to do the inside job? You know how, how long I tried to be the, and it made me just religious? It made me just more of a sinner. I tried to do the work. I tried to show myself good. I tried to do all the things right. I tried to smile. When inside I was lost, I was miserable. I was hurting. I was in pain. Now I'm like, I'm willing to, to just cry in front of people and say, I'm struggling today. And, and I don't care because something inside is different. Something inside of me has changed. Because I know now it points only to him. It's not in my strength. It's not in your strength. Just lay it down. It's only in him. It's an inside job. He's the one who does the work. He's the one that does the inside job to make you alive, not just for this present age. Come on. If you think that you live just for this present age, man, you got this stuff wrong. It's an inside job, and it's also to make you alive for the age to come. I'm living to, I'm living to leave a legacy in this age, but I am living to live in a glory in the age to come as well. There is no excuse, man, for anyone in this room. No excuse. You are all capable of being transformed from one moment to another. And it's only, only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Please don't twist that. I can't be any clearer than that. It's only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that he wants to work from the inside out. Stop praying for him to work from your outside in. Many of you want the job, many of you want the spouse, many of you want the ministry, many of you want the, and God's like, I just want the heart, and you, man. So then you chase to people that will, will, will feed the outward things, and then you, you reject the people that are speaking to the inner core of your, oh, man. I could go. He wants to work from the inside out. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Paul says in in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He says this. And I am certain. That's that's beautiful. No, no. That's beautiful. I wish you would have let her cry out. That's beautiful, man. Um, oh, Philippians 1.6. <laughs> I'm thinking about the egg hunt that's happening later. I'm so excited. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, Philippians 1.6. Let's end. Ah, oh, this is beautiful. Let it happen. That's good. 
It says, and I am certain that God, look at Paul. I'm glad, thank you, Paul, that's saying that you're certain. And I am certain that God, listen, who began the good work. Where does he begin the good work? Yeah, from the inside. He begins the good work within us. He will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. From the inside. You know, looking at the tomb, let's be very honest. Everything looks hopeless. Looking at the tomb, everything looks hopeless. <clears throat> you only give hopes of positivity, um, words of positivity, words of hope, because you know the rest of the story. <laughs> but if you if you were if you were present during Peter's time and the time of Jesus' death, I'm wondering how you really would have described the tomb. We know the rest of the story, so for us, we see a tomb and we like. He is risen. But when they saw the tomb, they were all hiding in the room scared. And their thoughts was, he's dead. And then here we are, thousands of years later, and we're like, no, he's not. Most of the teachings of Christ weren't finally revealed to the apostles until his resurrection. I believe it's, I believe it's an encountering the resurrection where scripture begins to take its truth in our lives. That's what happened with the disciples. Looking at the tomb, everything looks hopeless. But something happened. There was a change. There was life that began to happen in the inside. And I think this is so important as I end. It may be painful. It may look ugly. It may seem bad. That which starts from the inside. Did you notice the video? Did you notice when the blood started to hit the rocks? I haven't had this conversation yet, but I, I'm, I'm catching some of it. I started to notice there was, there was a smoke. The blood began to burn away some stuff. I looked at those rocks like, that's got to hurt. They're burning. I saw, I saw a, a coating on the rocks begin to chip away. Did you see that? I saw old rocks that were filthy begin to take a new form, a new color, because of a blood that was, covered, that was touching it. I saw a melting away, a chipping away. That stuff happens from the inside. And it's ugly at times. It may look ugly. It may look painful. It may seem bad. But it's something glorious that our Christ is doing. Last week, we spoke briefly about a woman giving birth. There's nothing... There was nothing beautiful when my wife says it's happening. From that point until we finally saw our kid, there was nothing beautiful. I felt so bad for her. Everything I said would irritate her. You know what it is to tell a woman at 2 in the morning, you're not ready yet, and to take us out of the hospital. What do I do? I'm giving birth. And they say, just walk. You think she wants to walk a mile at 2 in the morning? And she's giving, like... She woke up like a seven that day. She begins to mop the floor to hurry the process up. It's painful. I told many of you if I would have called you during her groaning, 
you would have considered that maybe there was a murder going on or something. And sometimes in the ugly and the pain and what may seem bad, when that, that comes out of it, that which comes out of the pain, that which comes out of the ugly, that which comes out of what seem bad, and you hold that life for the first time in your hand, instantly, all the feelings are gone. I saw my wife grab our children, each one, and instantly I saw pain and agony turn to tears and a smile. And I just looked and I said, how is that even possible? Because that from the inside begins to take fruit. It was worth the pain. It was worth not understanding it all. But if we just lay it down, there's a greater work that he wants to accomplish from the inside. Amen? Come on, go for it. And see what he might do in you. I think about it all and I say, at the end, if you were to ask my wife what she was carrying the child, hey, Nance? Now she smiles and says, yes. Before it would have been like, what? Get away, I already told you. But now it's yes. Our child whom we've conceived. Nancy, she's, I would have said, how do you feel? I'm sure her words would have been like, it was worth it all. One day you'll look at it and say it was worth it all. I think about the Hebrews in the furnace. How do you feel it was worth it? Jonah inside the fish, in the belly of the fish. Daniel in the den of lions. Joseph inside a pit. I mean, story after story after story after story. The criminal on the cross next to Jesus. <laughs> How do you feel? Well, it's worth it all. In the midst of all this, it doesn't look good. When we're in it, and then when all these individuals were in it, it didn't look good. But in it, they were all, and we will all receive something from God that eventually will transform us forever. And that is what the resurrection is about. What is happening? Does it feel useless in your life? Think about this. What's happening to you? Does it feel useless? Can, can what is going on in your life or in a family member's life, can it be described as dead? What we're learning today is that there is a resurrection. And it's a resurrection that happens in the inside of that which has the appearance of dead and that which has the appearance of hopelessness. So be encouraged because Paul says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you he continues that work until it is finally finished and the day that you are in glory with Christ Jesus, your Lord. Come on, give God some praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Can you stand with me on this beautiful day? I want you just to close your eyes if you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But whatever your form of just meditating, just really meditate deep within. I know we have some guests here. We have some people we haven't seen in a while. I 
as you examine your heart, I want to boldly just offer this. Is there anyone here that knows? Listen, yes, you can relate to the tomb. Yes, you need to lay down your life. You need to start making that decision today. I can't do anything else. God gave you the word already. You got to do it. Let him start working from the inside. But if there's someone here that specifically identifies their life with sin and recognizes that they need to accept Jesus, that, that they need to receive their Savior, that they need Christ in their life to transform them, that they need to ask for forgiveness to repent of their sins and to come to the feet of Christ and to the saving power of Jesus. If you need like that video for that blood of Christ to touch your sin, your wickedness, and for him to make you new. What a beautiful day like resurrection to accomplish that, to receive that, encounter that. So with every eye closed, if every person meditating deep in their heart, if that's you today and you know you need salvation. And what a beautiful day like a day of resurrection to experience resurrection in your life. If you need that in your life right there where you're at, can you just raise your hand and say, I know that I need resurrection. I know that I need forgiveness. I know that all my sins today could be wiped away by the power of Christ. I know that. I know that. Anyone else? I know that. Amen, amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Listen, I would say repeat after me, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let the melody of this song play over you for a, for a couple seconds. And what I would want you to do is say right there, just in your own conversation with God, I want you to say, forgive me. I lay down my life. You are my Lord Jesus. You are my Savior. Reign in my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Here I am, all of me. Do your work within me. Transform my life. I accept you. I receive you. So as this music plays, just for, 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 for a little while over you, just begin to pray that. For all of you that are good, all of you that are well, give them glory, give them praise in this moment. For all of you, for all of you that maybe this message resonated with you, just give those deep things that God spoke to you today. Give it to Him. Lay it down. And just spend some time with the Lord for, for a moment there. Come on, just you and God. You and God. No one telling you what to pray. No one telling you to come up to the front. No one laying any kind of hands on you. Just you and God. Let His Spirit lay hold of you today. Let the Holy Spirit lay hold of you today. So go ahead, you and God.